It's Tuesday, August 17th, and you've got Oz in your ears. This is uh, David Osman. I'm on the road for Radio Free Oz here in Gay Paris. And I'm beside the runway here at the celebrated Salon of the notoriously controversial haute couture designer Yves Sansstuhl. Uh, bonjour, Yves. Welcome to my Salon, David. Uh, we have just a moment before the showing starts for my latest collection, Toxique. Toxique, huh? Well, Yves, you're probably best known for your squid <laughs> agony boots. You, you introduced them at your first Salon back then in uh, 1980, right? Well, I have them here in the case, the, the prototype of the agony boot. Oh, that's the look of the 80s, the cowboy styling. It's the fashion of President Reagan. He may have been brain dead, but the man knew how to wear that cowboy look. Uh-huh, and this exotic leather. Polar what bear hide, the stripes of the Komodo dragon. Uh-huh, and this a very high heel, uh, lucite with the flashing lights. Well, the beautiful lights were made by the agony of the squid, uh-huh. who emits the electric pain every time the wearer steps on the heel, compressing this little petty Mollusk. Oh, wow. And, but you had to take them off the market. Peter brought me down. Uh, I told them that the squid has a happy life, safe in the heel of the Reagan boot, but they put a picket line in front of my door. What What could I do? Well, I, I see the showing's about to begin here. Uh, the audience is very excited. You can tell me, uh, what are we going to see today in your show? Toxique uh-huh. presents disaster fashions. Uh-huh. As you know, I normally design for the humans, but with the crisis in the Gulf, I, I have turned my attention to closing for the aquatic victims of this man-made tragedy. Mm. Oh, it's not dommage. <laughs> it is for Yves stool to make it right for the pauvre animaux, n'est-ce pas? Oh, well, oh, and here, here comes your first model. The exotic beauty Giselle showing my fabulous oil-repellent pelican briefs made from the freshly recycled wild bird feathers, a form-fitting, as you see, for the natural look of nature in the raw. Oh, that's timely, timely, Eve. And, and here comes your model, Raffaella. Ooh. She is wearing my dolphin slicker. Everyone knows the dolphin doesn't look so good coated in oil, so I've designed the tight-fitting sailor costume of oil-free oil cloth with a self-sealing flap for the blowhole. Oh, uh-huh, <laughs> that's very, very thoughtful. Okay, now this next model, Lauren yeah? showing the turtle shell by shell. Turtles and models can all live forever with this tropical carapace of million-year-old ivory hand-carved by Froggy Island Boys. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh, this must be the finale. It's uh, the, the bridal costume. Is that... For the first time, I show the bride in bed. Oh. The pollution-free happy oyster bed. I begin with a mattress of clean sand covered with the 700-count hazmat on the bottom, uh-huh. then spill repellent cover-up linens, uh-huh. the fluffy pillows and duvet boom are stuffed with clippings from famous Hollywood poodles and gaga wigs. Oh. And finally, the green wash sham, sham for complete protection in the season of the hurricane. Well, well, uh, that sounds like a, a thrill. But the bride herself, uh, can you describe her outfit? Of course, uh-huh. Imani is dressed as a prototype of the jumper jail suit in Florida orange with stripes of bio blue. Oh, it looks pretty rugged. It has to be. I'm making it for the president of BP, Tony Hayward. <laughs> he will have to wear it a long, long time. Well, everybody seems very enthusiastic about that. Congratulations on your non-toxic showing. Yves Sanstool for Radio Free Oz. This is David Osmond in Paris. Au revoir! Oz is back on the air in these interesting, troubled times. I'm your interesting and troubled host, Peter Bergman, and my equally interesting and probably untroubled co-host, David Osman. And he is not with us at this moment. He had to give his chair away to uh, 
Sheriff Luther Axe Handle here on yeah, Whidbey right. Island, who comes in once a week to let us know what's happening uh, locally, so right that here. we can Thank think you you know, locally and fear globally. Yes, right. we're, this is, uh, I tell you, there's been a lot happening here. And uh, by the way, I am Luther uh, Axe Handle, and I am running for re-election. you got to get your votes in by next Tuesday, just thought I'd let you know that. you got to vote by mail here. Yeah. I think it's pretty disgusting that there's no polling place anymore. That was the Norman Rockwell America that I grew up with, and I'm pretty pissed about it because i got to send in my ballot. And, and no poll tax either, it. you know. No, so no. Just about anybody can vote. What an America, I'll huh? Tell Go you. Ahead. Well, anyway, here's, what, here's what's been happening. Tuesday, a woman said two men were trespassing on her property there on Marshall Road. She heard them talking, and it woke her up. This is 3.07 in the morning. That's okay. it. Huh? That's yep. the extent she of it? She could see them sitting on her patio. Well, that's rude. Why? I would think so at 3.30 in the morning. We ran a couple of guys Did out you there respond? at high speed. Yep. You okay. bet you believe it. Now, in the morning, 10.50, a caller said someone, <laughs> I don't know about this, but a caller said someone would be doing bird control with a pellet gun from 9.30 p.m. until 2 a.m. at the Clinton Ferry Terminal. No. Night shooting out there. Oh, no. Pigeon popping yeah, pigeon, is what we pigeon, call it. Pigeon popping. Them pigeons, they're asleep by that time. Yeah, what well, you yeah. going to do? Yeah, kapop dead. Bonk. Hits the ground. At 10.14 p.m. that very same Tuesday night, a man said his neighbor threatened to kill him and his dogs. That's it. Whoa. Oh. And And are we escaped from... Uh, 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 was that a mortar strike there, Mr. It could have been terrorists. It could have just been some fallen light fixtures. Let's persevere All to right. show people we can get uh, through we a can difficult get right time. Through it. Okay. Uh, and, uh, this is coming up on uh, on uh, uh, Wednesday here. Uh, Tuesday was bad enough. Wednesday at uh, just about noontime, a woman said she was cleaning her rental house on Marshall Road, and she thought she found meth. She called back to say she'd found more crystals, but it looked like bath salt. And that's both on Marshall Road. Yeah, these so that's are both where on... people are hanging on your porch yeah. and, and fooling you badly, putting bath salts in your meth. That... Boy, it must have been hard on her. She thought she she had the the wherewithal to work all day, and it's bath salts. Not bath salts. What you going to do? Well, okay. Uh, on Thursday, uh, just about one o'clock in the uh, afternoon, a woman said her tenants on Leaf Lane were letting their dogs run loose, and she wanted to know about the county's lease law. Lease <laughs> law. Yeah. What? I said to her, you can't lease these dogs. They're no. your neighbor's dogs. You can't rent them. You can't lease them. You can't buy them. They're just it, out there on the road. It's a human resources Well, issue. okay. I got a couple more for you. That same Thursday, a man complained about a woman blasting her radio on Smuggler's Cove. He said his neighbors have been trying to drive him out of his property by being obnoxious. It'll work. Yeah, you know, yeah a very successful thing. I think it's going on here at, at uh, Honeymoon Lake Drive, To uh, A caller there on Honeymoon Lake Drive said a neighbor was dropping the F-bomb over and over at the top of his lungs at the party that had already been the subject of a complaint. Ooh. Dropping the F-bomb there at uh, Honeymoon I, Lake Road. I mean, uh, what kind of fun are you going to have? You know you know what I mean? Well, that's it for me, uh, Mr. Bergman. And well, go I'm respond enjoying... to something on Marshall Road. I know you'll be back next uh, week. You know, uh, here's an item about uh, man, someone heard a man yelling for help in the woods near Max Weldon Road. I'm going to call up a couple of my boys. States and cities and towns across the country are cutting back on their services because of the 
the Greater Depression, but it's also hitting people in a very, very personal and I would say dangerous way. In 2009 and 2010, according to USA Today, as the economic collapse shuddered across the globe, oncologists in California noticed a troubling trend. Three patients who had had serious tumors under control for as long as eight years reappeared in the clinic with massive cancer regrowth, which in one case required emergency surgery. In retrospect, this downturn in fortunes should have been predictable. The economic recession has forced the patients to discontinue a life-extending medication. So, the downturn is killing us. In all three cases, the patients developed new symptoms and came in after having missed an appointment or two without us knowing that they had stopped the drug, said Dr. Katie Kelly, co-author of a letter to the editor in the August issue of the New England Journal of Medicine, which describes the cases. Certainly, we've seen an increase in affordability concerns, said Stephen Finan, Senior Policy Director of the American Cancer Society Action Network. Very definitely, we've seen an upward trend in the last couple of years of people struggling with deductibles and cost sharing. There has been some evidence to suggest that it is happening on a wider scale, added Robert Freeman, Professor of Pharmaceutical Sciences at Texas A&M. This not only happens when the economy turns down, but if Medicare programs run into budgetary problems and become restrictive or if private co-payments go up. All three patients described in the journal article had been taking Gleevec, G-L-E-E-V-E-C. Who sat around in New Jersey coming up with that one? For gastrointestinal stromal tumors, G-I-S-T, Gleevec is considered by many to be a wonder drug since it appears to be close to a cure for many people with a form of blood cancer known as chronic myelogenous leukemia. The drug has also extended the average survival of GIST patients from just a few months to an average of five years, the UCSF team noted. However, Gleevec costs patients close to $5,000 a month. That's out of the reach of most Americans without health insurance, and it can make Gleevec tough to afford even when insurance is available. Now, wait a minute. You're telling me that if I can't afford my Gleevec, my only, you know, what have I got to do? I can rob banks or I can just let the tumor grow until it kills me. I just don't get it, people. I don't get the spiritual state that allows other people to suffer because of abstract economic problems. It gets me so angry. It makes me boil. Probably burns out all the cancer cells in my body at the same time, so there's always a happy side to everything. All three patients described in the journal had been part of the trial that led to Gleevec's approval for GIST and had been taking the drug since 2001, and all had suffered economic reversals, including job losses that forced them to stop treatment. As a result, all experienced recurrences, often within a matter of months. Man, something has got to be done. We have got to come together. If we don't come together, we're all going to go down the Gleevec Road. We're all going to come walking into some office with something too big growing in the wrong place. This is Sharzad Hackerthumb for the Stake a Heart Foundation. I'm proud that America is making it possible for gay people to come out of the closet all over this great country of ours. Now it's time to let another oppressed minority have their day in the sun. I'm talking about the millions of vampires across the land who are yearning to come out of the casket. Let Karl Rove uncap his fangs and be the uncompromising bloodsucker he was born to be 10,000 years ago. Release John Bomer from his daily ordeal at the tanning salon where he goes to mask his natural pasty white shade of the newly dead. 
allow LeBron James to reveal the real source of his amazing athletic powers and arrogant personality. Free Sarah Palin to explain why she chose to leave a state with endless nights. It's time we put a human face on those countless Americans who look in the mirror every morning and see no one looking back. This is Sharzad Hackerthumb for the Stake of Heart Foundation. And you've got Oz in your ears. She had no idea what she was getting into. I'm talking about Meg. How does California Attorney General Jerry Brown fight billionaire Meg Whitman in the battle to be the next governor of the Golden State? Whitman, the former CEO of eBay, spends nearly as much per day, an average of $531,000 over the past six weeks, as Brown has spent all year. Yet the KG and frugal Brown leads the free-spending billionaire in the latest poll 37% to 34%. By necessity, Brown is running a low-budget guerrilla campaign against Whitman, whose spending has now zoomed past the $100 million mark. That money belongs somewhere else. Skilled at jumping on issues and turning them to his advantage, Brown is living off free media, hoarding his $23 million in campaign cash for fall television ads and doing his best to keep the Whitman juggernaut off balance. And now he's picked up his latest weapon, Proposition 23, on the November ballot. Proposition 23 takes aim at California's ambitious environmental law, known as AB 32, or the Global Warming Law, which requires greenhouse gas emissions to be reduced to 1990 levels by 2020. If approved by voters in November, the ballot measure would halt enforcement of AB 32 until the California unemployment rate, now over 12%, falls to 5.5% for at least four consecutive quarters. There have only been three periods in the past 30 years when California's unemployment rate that low. So, the big boys are after the green law. And wily Jerry Brown. I knew Jerry Brown back in the day, and if I was going to run for governor, the last person in the world I'd run against is the former Jesuit Jerry Brown. Him be smart, him be clever, him never go away. Last week, Brown, a former California governor, declared global warming to be the defining issue between himself and the Republican candidate, saying Whitman will gut AB 32. In the months to come, Brown said, the contrast between my proposal for green jobs and her shilly-shallying on AB 32 will become clear. It seems to have come sooner. After weeks of saying she was neutral on Proposition 32, Whitman finally took a position. Sort of. In an interview on talk radio in L.A., Whitman said, In all likelihood, I will vote no on Prop 23 before adding that she has not yet made a final decision. Still, she has not backed off of a pledge she made at the time of the Republican primary to suspend the greenhouse gas emissions law for at least a year if she becomes governor. Bad mistake, Meg. Too busy spending $100 million to sit down and think, What's it like to be a California voter in 2010? You're blowing it big time, Maggie, and I don't mind at all. Notes on this America, Dave. According to a new poll of over 1,000 people, actually 1,001 people, kind Mm -hmm. of the Scheherazade poll, more for some women, weight control is more important than sex. About half of women say they would rather go without sex for the summer than gain 10 pounds. A fourth of men feel the same way. I was wondering, Dave, if you had a choice between putting on 10 pounds or or having no sex during the summer, 
You know, I mean, would you put on 10 pounds to have sex? Uh, well, that's a difficult question. I think I probably do put on 10 pounds over the winter. Yes. You know, do. so that's an entirely different thing. In the okay. summer, you want to go out there and, and, and lose weight. I think this is a bad, this is a bad either or situation. These Just like America. More people say they would rather shed 10 to 20 pounds during the summer than get promoted at work. They would wow. rather shed 20 pounds than get no, a promotion. I, I, I understand. I think I understand w- about women who would really rather lose weight. It doesn't matter how, you know, how good they already look. They always have to lose five pounds. And I think most of them could easily go without sex for the summer in return for the losing of that critical five pounds. That I would be so. it. I think, think some so? of them are having sex this summer and going without it at the same time. Of course, weight loss <clears throat> could make them feel sexier. About 66% uh-huh. of people say they need to lose weight to feel sexier than they currently do. It mm-hmm. would take mm-hmm. a loss mm-hmm. of 23 pounds on the average to feel hotter. Another poll conducted a few years ago for Fitness Magazine found that more than half of Americans say they'd rather lose their jobs than get fat. Now they have the opportunity to do both. This is a commentary by Jerry Seiboff, the Wall Street Journal. It's becoming increasingly clear that Americans aren't simply in the midst of hard times. They are in the midst of one of the most volatile political environments since World War II. By my take, the most volatile. The immediate cause of this volatility is clear enough to see. Just a few months ago, there was a chance that an improving economy and progress in the war in Afghanistan might calm national nerves and return the political world to a more normal setting before November's midterm elections. Instead, trend lines in both the economy and Afghanistan now seem to be heading in the wrong direction, and that is producing a public attitude hovering somewhere between anxiety and apprehension. If hope was the watchword for the 2008 campaign, fear may be, indeed, more apt for 2010. Yeah, there is a lot of fear out there. And the whole thing about hope in 2008, it's all very well to cast your hope on someone else, but not if it takes away your sense of personal responsibility. I believe this country basically said, Obama can do it. Ah, he's Doug I. Yes, we can. But we forgot that it the we is not the imperial we. He's not Queen Victoria. He's just a guy. And we're the other part of the we. Okay, but this snapshot of volatility merely fits into a bigger and broader picture. Today's dark public mood appears to be the culmination of a long stretch of national anxiety encompassing a historical terrorist attack and two lengthy wars followed hard by the worst economic crisis of the last 75 years. The nation is in a period of volatility that started well before this year and may stretch well beyond it. So we said basically it's 9-11, two lengthy wars, and the, you know, Great Depression 2.0, as if they're somehow separate. But the fact is, is that 9-11 was a response, albeit a vicious and unacceptable response to American foreign policy that included one of those two wars. And the recession has to do with the fact that we've been living this un- unsustainable lifestyle for so long that the wars just brought it down. I mean, we're spending a billion a day in Afghanistan. We can't afford it. We couldn't even afford it if it was working. 
In the political realm, there's no doubt that this environment will produce significant victories for Republicans in November's congressional elections, but the long-term consequences are much less clear. I don't necessarily take that as a given. I mean, that's basically scripture amongst journalists and pundits and economists and and lobbyists and various other, you know, concubines on the general scene that the Democrats are going to be slaughtered in November. I think we're going to have to wait and see. In the words of Republican pollster Bill McInturf, who helps direct the Wall Street Journal NBC poll America, we uh, this is an era of unprecedented, unstable political attitudes. For example, to the extent some analysts thought that George W. Bush era was uh, bringing about a Republican and conservative realignment of the country, or that the election of Barack Obama signaled a Democratic and liberal realignment, both conclusions now appear wrong. Instead of realignment, there is volatility. Well, I got to tell you, you know, uh, during the Bush fascism, a lot of us liberals and progressives, well, not all of them, but me, I didn't go out on the streets. I didn't see any of my people out on the streets except a promenade, you know, and buy. We let that happen. And uh, now you've got this incredible naysayers who are stopping everything in their path in the hope of somehow coming back to power if things get bad enough. It's just stupid, wicked thinking. Both parties are sinking simultaneously. That's true. Normally, if Democrats go down in public esteem, Republicans go up and vice versa. Not now. Despite the fact that this year's most motivated voters say they're more likely to vote Republican than Democrat in the fall, the Republican Party just this week received its lowest positive rating in the 21-year history of the Wall Street Journal NBC poll. So yeah, we're going to go out and vote for the people we hate. The traditional American spirit of optimism about the future is fading. Yeah, you think so? In two straight monthly journal NBC news polls, only a third of those surveyed have said the economy will get better in the next year. Notably, this level of pessimism cuts across all income lines. So even the fat, greedy, somnolent rich don't think things are going well. What? You want more of what's left of the pie? And when Democratic pollster Peter Hart, who co-directs the journal NBC News Poll, convened a focus group of a dozen voters in Richmond, Virginia, earlier this week for the journal, a third of those around the table said they thought the country was more likely to be moving in the wrong direction five years from now than it is today. They not looking into a good future. That's just the view of a few people. You know, we got focused again. But it represents a striking variation from the usual American impulse to think life will steadily improve. Nor is the attitude entirely a function of the Obama era. I don't think so either. The share of Americans who said in journal polling that the country was headed in the right direction began sliding midway through the last decade and was even lower at the time of the 2000 election than it is now. Yeah, they were being thoroughly raped by the Republicans, by Bush and Rove and the other putchers. You bet, things were really bad. Actually, as bad as they are now, and we've got real systemic problems, we do have in Obama and the people around him, people who have the wherewithal, the brains, and I believe the heart, to make, you know, to make real serious improvements. But without the support of the American people, it's impossible. I can tell by the pound you're tied. You're an American, well, so am I. Hi, Bubba, how do, you, how do you do? And while we're on the subject, and while we're on the subject, and while we're on the subject, I'll see you wazoo!
USA Today tells us that a name like Maria or Jose isn't a solid clue anymore that the person who answers to it will worship in a Catholic church on Sundays. An Associated Press Univision poll finds that younger Latinos, as well as those who speak more English than Spanish, are much less likely to identify as Catholics than older Hispanics who speak more Spanish. So the less Spanish you speak or the more English you speak and the younger you are as a Latino, the less chance you're a Catholic. The Pope doesn't want to hear this. The poll of 1,500 Latino adults also found significant divisions on social issues such as same-sex unions and abortion along lines of age, language, and whether one is Catholic or Protestant. Now, it's been more than a year since Melissa Solis went to Mass, an executive assistant at a New York financial firm. She was raised by a pious Catholic mother but calls herself non-practicing. She says, there is peace in the house of God for me, but there is also inner peace, said Solis, who's 35. I do believe there is a God, and that has helped me through tough times, but you can practice your religion in your home, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in a building labeled the house of God. Overall, 62% of Hispanics identify as Catholics, but that includes only 55% of young adults, 18 to 29, compared with 80% of elders 65 and over. This is not a good shift for these guys. In the United States these days, religious sentiment seems to be keener among Latino Protestants than their Catholic counterparts. This has been going on for a long time. The evangelicals, uh, the proselytizers, have been down in uh, Latin America for a long time supplanting the Catholics. Also, all of this 7-Eleven stuff on television. There's no good Catholic television. You go take a look at, you know, there used to be a, what's his name, Monsignor Spellman or Cardinal Spellman used to do a TV show in New York, and that was considered a big deal. But he wasn't really that telegenic compared with, you know, Jerry Falwell and all the guys with two-tone hair who touch people on the forehead and they fall over. That's show business, not uh, I'm experiencing the passion of the heart of Christ. It just doesn't make it on the two. So... Protestants are twice as likely to attend weekly services, according to the poll. Many worship in evangelical or Pentecostal churches, many of which are about the size of my garage. When I lived in L.A., I used to go down Sunset Boulevard, and you'd look in and you'd see some guy with an old Stratocaster, and they're all singing religious songs. It was wonderful and, uh, and creepy. 70% of Hispanic Protestants said the Bible is the actual word of God to be taken literally. Wing nuts compared with 46% of Hispanic Catholics that the inerrant Bible philosophy is the end of thinking. Just 26% of Protestants said abortion should be mostly legal compared with 41% of Catholics. 41% of the Catholics said abortion should be legal, although their bishops and cardinals are having orgasms over it daily, right? Excommunicating people, calling up the devil and telling them to drag them down to hell as they speak. And 59% of Protestants said same-sex couples should not be allowed to marry compared with 29% of Catholics. So like 70% of the Catholics think there should be same-sex marriage. Well, it's happened. Well, and you know that it's legal in Argentina. It's now legal in Mexico, same-sex marriages. It's happening all over Latin America. Lindsay Dusenberry, 27, of Columbia, Maryland, said she gradually came to accept same-sex unions, even though Catholic bishops are staunchly opposed. I think staunchly opposed is light. Working as a preschool teacher, she met a lesbian couple and their rambunctious son. 
She said, as much as I had thought it would mess up our social order, it doesn't seem like anything different now, said Dusenberry, who is of Panamanian and Nicaraguan heritage. The lesbian couple reminded me so much of what a normal couple would be like, she added. Their son was just a normal two-year-old running around and going crazy. So good, you can have a lesbian mom and a lesbian dad, so to speak, and be two years old and run around and be crazy. I love America. Just hours after winning final House approval, President Barack Obama 
quickly signed into law a $26.1 billion fiscal aid package to help state and local governments avert a new round of layoffs this fall. Nancy Pelosi had to tweet the Congress back into session to get this done. Now, what exactly is it that they have to return from their summer you know, recess to do? It's a t- $10 billion to preserve teaching jobs in the new school year. Without this bill, teachers all over the country would have been pinked. Class sizes would have doubled. There would have been school furloughs. But you had to get those bastards back to do it. And $16.1 billion to help states cover their Medicaid payments for the six months in the beginning of 2011. You think this would be everyday nat- you know, natural business. No, this is an emergency session. More than past stimulus efforts, the bill pays for itself through a combination of tax reforms and often painful spending cuts, and the choices represent a new common-sense message, which Democrats hope will help them with voters in November. Painful cuts, yeah. They cut back food stamps, and they took COBRA off of the Medicare payments, so if you can't afford your Medicaid or your Medicare. You can't, like, pay for it separately with the insurer. My voters are rational voters. If it's paid for, okay, said Representative Gerald Connolly, a Democrat of Virginia. While the other side wasn't looking, the ground has shifted yet again, and I think people want to hear more than no, absolutely no. And remember, everybody's affected directly by their local government. Man, this guy really knows how to think. If he ever wants to put it in print, I'm more than happy to read it. Indeed, after dire predictions that Speaker Nancy Pelosi was taking a great gamble when she called the House back from its summer recess to act on the bill, the unity shown by her Democrats, 247 for 161 against, only three Democrats crossed the line. That's that's an exceptional unity. Republicans peppered the debate with repeated references to bailouts or a government utopia of reckless big spending. Yeah, putting teachers back in the classroom. Now there's a government utopia for you. I can't believe it. I'm in paradise. I took my kid to school today and there was a teacher in front of the class. Oh my God, it's socialism at last. What part of broke doesn't this Congress understand, said witty Texas Republican Jeb Henserling with sarcasm. That's his idea of sarcasm. Yeah, well, let me ask you something, Jeb. What part of save the schools don't you understand? Of course, all of uh, his children, he doesn't really have a problem because all of his children go to the local rapture academy. So what does he care? But the stampede of nervous moderates never happened. No, they stayed. And all but three Democrats stood with a package in what became an almost party-line vote that dramatized the genuine divide between the two sides over government's role in today's economy. If you want to call this an economy, we can't stand by and do nothing while pink slips are given to the men and women who educate our children or keep our communities safe, Obama said in a Rose Garden event prior to the House action. I mean, talk about softball politics. They're giving Obama the biggest softballs in the world. Yes, I'm for putting teachers back in the schools. Yes, I'm for keeping police on the streets. Don't the GOP understand what they're doing? Talk about bad publicity. And in his remarks, the president directly took on critics who have charged him with giving in to another bailout from Uncle Sam to placate teacher unions and other special interests. Lame-o-rama! If America's children, he say, and the safety of, of our communities are your special interests, then it is a special interest bill, Obama said. But I think those interests are widely shared throughout this country, a challenge that should not be a Democratic problem or a Republican problem. It's an American problem. 
Yeah, excuse me, does the word no-brainer come to mind? The bill will more than pay for itself over the next decade. Drug manufacturers would be squeezed again on Medicaid rebates. Keep squeezing them like a tube of toothpaste until there's nothing left. Multinationals face tighter foreign tax credit rules. Really? And to, to end a pattern of manipulation grown up over many years. But spending cuts account for a greater portion of the savings. Yeah, we don't want the multinationals to pay the larger part of the bill. Those people are too busy stuffing their pockets with blood money. Okay, the greater portions of these savings will come from cuts in the energy department program and a rollback in food stamp benefits in the spring of 2014 and the end of COBRA on Medicaid. Oh my, oh my, this is the new common sense. It's neither for the common wheel, nor is it sensical. Every time Obama comes on the TV, which I watch Fox News all during the day, I switch a channel to the Hallmark Channel to figure he's gone, then I switch it back. Politico says that Wall Street reform may be over in the halls of Congress, but the debate over economic fairness is just heating up as progressive groups plan to make it a marquee issue during the August recess. Well, I certainly hope so. Service Employees International Union, Healthcare for America Now, and their progressive partners plan to highlight the contrast between profitable banks and insurance companies and struggling everyday Americans. Well, there's a gap you could drive the entire economy through. Events to be held in all 50 states will be promoted to the local and national media, said Stephen Lerner of SEIU. We really see this as a building block for the discussion of why the economy is in the toilet and how do you fix it. How do you fix something that's in the toilet? I mean, you don't handle it personally, do you? Do you get some great big rubber suction thing called Congress to kind of like create a vacuum so that all of that stuff will go away? And once it's gone away, what do you replace it with? More of the same. Healthcare for America Now also plans to organize town hall meetings, hold phone drives, and go door-to-door in support of lawmakers who backed the new healthcare reform law. The only problem is that with the tremendous foreclosure rate, they may find very few people behind some of those doors. Our immediate priority is to do aggressive issue advocacy during the August recess to stand up for the members of Congress who have been standing up for their constituents, said Ethan Rome of HCAN. We're standing with the members of Congress who have decided to side with consumers and not Wall Street bankers and big oil. We are back to the days of Teddy Roosevelt. We really are trust busting. We can only defend health reform, which to me is like a reasonable entitlement by opposing it to Wall Street and big oil. They really don't connect, but I guess in the, in the drama of politics on the political stage, this is a plot that works. Well, Dave, back in the Great Depression, of course, this is the Greater Depression because we do everything better. Um, they used to have, there was a song that Pete Seeger, I don't know if he wrote it, but he sang it, the banks are made of marble with a guard at every door. And the vaults are stuffed with silver that the workers sweated for. Well, the banks may be made of marble, but that doesn't keep them from crumbling even today. Regulators have shut down a Nevada bank, raising to 83 the number of U.S. bank failures just this year. This year, 83 banks? Yeah, the Federal Deposit Uh Insurance Corp. took over Nevada Security Bank based in Reno, with $480.3 million in assets and $479.8 million in deposits, but it failed. 
Uh, the failure of the bank is expected to cost the deposit insurance fund $80.9 million. So they were $80.9 million in the red. I think I have problems, you know, balancing my books. Okay. So this is a time of bank failures, but great wisdom. This is Sarah Palin. I don't like to talk about Mama Grizzly unless she says something so weird and funny that it, it just makes the listeners chuckle. Okay? Go ahead. Go ahead. When we, asked we by O'Reilly, this is, you know, this O'Reilly, yeah, how to stop the oil leak, Sarah Palin responded, quote, the Dutch, they are known, and the Norwegian, they are known for for dikes and for cleaning up water and for dealing with spills. This woman was almost president of the United States. For dealing with spills. The Dutch, Uh they are known. I love the way she talks like this, you know, the Dutch, they are known, and the Norwegian, they are known for dykes and cleaning up water and dealing with spills. Next. Sarah. Come on, the best minds uh, in the uh, to to quote <laughs> to quote uh, Ginsburg, the best minds of our generation are out there in the middle of the Gulf trying to figure out why those sheer blades didn't come together. You know, they had dozens of of cameras down there. They've got all these undersea cameras. Right. They made how many billions of dollars BP last year? Profit. Profit. Uh, Seventeen billion. Seventeen billion dollars profit. Their daily expenses must be a billion dollars. Which means that I'm sorry about all those pension funds that are have to go to hell here, but you know they could lower the price of oil and make a little less money, and still be able to spend billions of dollars cleaning it all up. You know, I mean, just a little less money. A new antibiotic-resistant superbug has emerged in India and Pakistan and spread to British hospitals and health professionals are warning it could become a major problem worldwide. Another toxic gift from Pakistan. Thank you very next. The bacteria have also been detected in the United States, Canada, Australia, the Netherlands, and Sweden. British scientists blame the spread on medical tourism in India, often for cosmetic surgery. So bimbos and studs go over to India to get their nose or other important parts of their bodies adjusted, either blown up or sucked down, and bring back antibiotic superbugs. Thank you so much. Scientists fear bacteria with a gene named NDM1, New Delhi metallo-beta-lactamase 1, could jump to other antibiotic-resistant bacteria and even common E. coli to create infections that would spread quickly and be nearly impossible to treat. Scientists say NDM1 alters the bacteria, making them resistant to even the most powerful group of antibiotics. Oh, boy. There have been a number of small clusters within the UK, but far and away the greater number of uh, cases appear to be associated with travel and hospital treatment in the Indian subcontinent. Dr. David Livermore, one of the researchers and um, who came up with a report and who works for the UK's Health Protection Agency, told the BBC, this type of resistance has become quite widespread there. Three U.S. cases of NDM1 were identified between January and June. The Wall Street Journal writes, The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said the patients had received recent medical care in India. Yeah, nose bobs! The potential of NDM1 to be a worldwide public health problem is great, and coordinated international surveillance is needed. 
The authors wrote, researchers are also calling for new antibiotics to combat the superbug. A oh, superbug. You know, in Japan, when you, when you attach yourself to a particular entertainer or group, you become a super fan, right? But now, superbug. This is a story from uh, Talking Points Memo about Brian Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Go Google him. You haven't seen a pompadour like this in a long time. And you look at this guy who is one of these moral bigots, and you know he's soon going to be in the news, either taking amphetamine from bisexual massage robots. We don't know what he's going to be doing, but it ain't going to be long before this boy comes tumbling down. He's the director of issue analysis for the American Family Association, and he wrote a blog post on the AFA site arguing that the United States should have no more mosques, period. This is for one simple reason, he writes. It's got to be simple because this is one simple turd if I've ever encountered one. Each Islamic mosque is dedicated to the overthrow of the American government. Fisher, who is scheduled to speak at the Value Voter Summit in September alongside Michelle Bachman, Mitt Romney, Sarah Palin, Mitch O'Connell, and a host of other Republican nutbrains, writes that every mosque is a potential jihadist recruitment and training center and determined to implement the Grand Jihad. Now, we're going to go on with Brian and his palaver, but I want to tell you that Michelle Bachman, Mitt Romney, Sarah Palin, Mitch McConnell, and a bunch of other GOPers are going to appear in the same conference and on the same stage with this racist bastard and happy to do it. Uh, Fisher adds that because of this subversive ideology, Muslims cannot claim religious freedom protections under the First Amendment. They are currently using First Amendment freedoms to make plans to destroy the First Amendment altogether. This is what Hitler said about the Jews. This is straight Hitler to the Jews. It, the equal sign is absolutely there. If a mosque was willing to publicly renounce the Koran and its 109 verses that call for the death of infidels, renounce Allah and his messenger Muhammad, publicly condemn Osama bin Laden, Hamas and Abel de Basad del Maghrabi, the Lockerbie bomber, maybe then they could be allowed to build their buildings. But then they wouldn't be Muslims at that point. Now, would they, he asks. No, I think if you deny the Quran and Allah and Muhammad, I think you've left the Muslim building. Okay, fine. This guy is just the best. He said, permits should not be granted to build even one more mosque in the United States of America, let alone the monstrosity planned for ground zero, Pompadour Fisher said. Fisher has a lurid history of writing some pretty inflammatory stuff on AFA blogs, such as that the U.S. should impose legal sanctions for homosexual behavior. Fisher said in a recent radio broadcast that Hitler used gay soldiers because they basically had no limits and the savagery and brutality they were willing to inflict on whomever Hitler sent them after was unbounded. This is the man that Sarah and Mitch and Mitt and all the rest of these GOP unforgivables are going to party with. It's the end times. You're right. Warm it up. Right now, humanity isn't a hot item. Some will say it's in the freezer. I'll say it's in the refrigerator. And everyone that I know is trying to get it over to the stove. Warm it up. 
not on a high flame because we don't want to burn the bottom. This is a story from the New York Times. What I like about this is that there's a picture at the top of the story of Ben Bernanke, the head of the Fed, posing as if it was for Gentleman's Quarterly on what must be the staircase of the Fed building. It's got all this kind of, kind of it's kind of Art Nouveau, kind of, I don't know, uh, real stylish. And he really thinks he's some good-looking guy. Ben, <laughs> I got news for you. Federal Reserve officials acknowledging that their confidence in the recovery has dimmed, maybe they need an LED light bulb, moved again to keep interest rates low and encourage economic growth. They also signaled that more aggressive measures could follow if the job market and other indicators continued to weaken or plummet. With short-term interest rates already close to zero, you know, there's zero in all of the Western countries. I mean, they're, they're almost minus zero in Japan, and it's had no good effect whatsoever. Nobody wants to spend any of this free money because they don't want to hire anybody because they don't think there's any market out there. And in fact, the new reports from China and Europe prove them to be correct. So with short-term interest rates already close to zero, the Fed's policymakers have relatively few tools available to encourage consumer and corporate spending. So they now plan to use the proceeds from the Fed's huge mortgage-based portfolio to buy long-term government debt. This is a big deal. Sounds all very technical and such. But the fact is, is that the Fed bought out a lot of those toxic mortgages uh, from Freddie Mae and Fannie Mac and all the other transvestite organizations that are responsible for the bubble. They bought the stuff to keep them from crashing. And a lot of it is valuable stuff. And they thought they were going to kind of like just let it run itself out. Now they're going to use that money to buy Fed bonds, uh, treasury notes, because we don't want to become another Greece. <laughs> Sovereign default, the nightmare that lurks. Uh, though the immediate impact is likely to be modest, which means it'll have no effect whatsoever, the decision is a turnabout from only a few months ago when officials were discussing when and how to begin to raise interest rates and gradually shrink the $2.3 trillion balance sheet amassed through the Fed's response to the 2008 financial crisis. So the Fed alone is $2.3 million in the, in the soup over this financial crisis, and now they have to put more in. In buying at least $10 billion a month in new Treasury securities, Securities, a small fraction of the roughly $700 billion in Treasury debt the Fed holds, but they bought that over a long time. The central bank is trying to help keep money readily available in the financial markets. What they're trying to do is to keep governments from running away from federal Treasury notes. If they do, we're all completely fuckocked. With Congress seemingly unable to agree on substantial new stimulus spending, the Fed could face a far tougher decision later this year whether to take more drastic steps to pump money into the economy and make credit even cheaper. Well, what exactly can they do? They're already printing it for free. Well, they could go back and print 100 over $1 bills. Give us your, come on into the bank, give us your $1 bill. We'll stamp 100 on it. You're doing fine. Move along. You know, go buy some more gadgets, you know, get some Viagra, you know, stiffen the economy, do whatever you can, just make it happen. We're in a lousy middle between the economy picking up on its own and falling off a cliff, said Kathy Minahan, a former president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. So this is no lightweight, and that makes policy setting really hard. Yes, it does, Kathy. When you find yourself between waiting for the economy to pick itself up and falling off a cliff, 
Now that's a tough time to make decisions. The announcement confirmed what had been widely discussed among economists and business leaders in recent days. How are they talking to each other? Are they Skyping? What are they doing? Are they are they texting each other? Are, is there a big kind of financial I am where people get on and say, oh, things are really looking black, man. I think we're in the potty. The Fed would, Fed would move decisively, they said. They agreed probably through these text messages. If the economic picture darkened, I can't even see the picture. Some analysts believe that if the economy worsens, the Fed might begin a new round of quantitative easing. I love these terms. The strategy of buying financial assets to increase the money supply. But they have to print money to buy the assets. At some point, things come a cropper. The committee said it still expected a gradual return on the two normal economic conditions, although the recovery was less robust than expected at this point. Anybody who uses the term robust must go to jail for a day. That's the deal. And anybody that talks about a gradual return to normal economic conditions must live under those normal economic conditions for the next month and give up their, give up their estates on Long Island, give up their $1,000 bottles of wine, and come join us, the Vox Populi. A former New York Fed economist, John Riding of RDQ Economics, said the announcement suggested a bit of feeling of panic by the Fed. And Joshua Shapiro, an economist at MFR Incorporated, said the Fed's announcement appears to mainly be designed to provide itself with political cover against a backdrop of a gut-wrenching economic correction that shows no sign of ending anytime soon. So, okay, we're not going to call it the Greater Depression anymore. We're going to simply call it a gut-wrenching economic correction that shows no sign of ending anytime soon. That sounds a lot more pleasant to me. Round and round she goes, hey, babe, we're on the wheel again. And, you know, the nice thing about the wheel is that it just keeps turning. We were at the beginning, now we're at the ending, and by tomorrow we'll be at the beginning again. I'm dizzy. Yeah. (laughs) So let's roll it out with a little tang, Dave. Well, here's a lipo, a really short, little, beautiful one called Blue Water Song. Blue Water, Burning Moon. On South Lake he gathers lilies. The lotus flowers whisper. The lone boatman sighs. I know just how he feels, Dad. (laughs) I'm Peter Bergman, your host of Radio Free Oz. David Osmond is my co-host. The McIntyre, our producer, Dave Maloney, does our audio recording and runs these gorgeous Blue Loop studios. Chaz Glass has been doing all our financials and getting us well. Scott Wilde, well, he's all a Twitter. Tom Gedwillow, Mr. Webb John Cummings keeps us, as I say, honest in the world of electronica. And Phil Fountain just keeps getting it better and better all the time. Anon and anon.